It's, it's a pleasure to, to get a chance to, to be with you. I got my sweat towel. You know, big dudes, you know, uh, for us, it's, it's a challenge to see if we can go through a mess without, pre- without sweating. I've given up on that challenge. I just got the towel with me at all times. Every time I don't have a towel, usually I'm end up drenched. So pray for your boy and the strength in the Lord. You know what I'm saying? The sweat glands just don't go in overdrive. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the text. We're going to continue uh, through Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 26. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We, got, we have somebody just giving out the Bibles. If, uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Uh, if not, uh, if you do, you just left it at home, just leave it behind so that somebody who, who really needs one can have one. But uh, as we about to go into this text, and we're going to talk a little bit before I dive in, I want to get a chance for us to see that what we're dealing with in this situation, and we'll read as we go through the points, is that this is a continuation of what Pastor Jake preached last week about Jesus preaching and performing miracles to the Gentiles. Now, this is something, this is a point that we cannot miss, that, that the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is for all people in all ethnic groups. And, and the Syrophoenician woman last, last week that we, we, we uh, unpacked a little bit understood the mission of Jesus better than the Jews of the time. This passage that we're about to read, it parallels uh, Mark chapter 6 through, uh, through chapter 7, where you see a feeding of a great multitude. Then you see a boat trip. You see a confrontation with the Pharisees, and then you see a miraculous healing. Now, I want us to understand that point because what's happening here is that when Mark records this, he's not recording it just for the sake of chronology and time and history, but there's a purpose of theology in this. And so what is it that we want to drive home? What is the point that we want to get as before we dig into the text and that we see this, we see that the kingdom of God God's work of reconciling humanity back to himself through Jesus Christ reveals that Jesus wants to open our eyes so that we can see him clearly and has the power to do so. He has the power to open our eyes so that we can see clearly. He uses both physical and spiritual means to overcome our blindness. So right now, we're digging in the text and we're in the middle of Mark. And you would think, though, that in the middle of Mark, You've seen the, the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders. You've seen the disciples. They've seen Jesus can't do miracle after miracle after miracle. you think he would be viral in a good way. You would think that he's on a level like, man, everybody's riding with him. Everybody's rolling with him. But what we see here is not that re- in the text. Some of us, we struggle that you would think that remembering what God has done, that we can live out faith in the present. If we remember what God has done in the past, we should be able to live it out in the present. But sometimes we just don't get it. Our hearts are hardened. Our eyes are blind. Our ears are deaf. We forget. And sometimes we just take Jesus for granted. See, I I learned this in multiple ways, though. Before going into ministry, while I was in ministry, I was actually a college football coach. From the time I got uh, out of school, and, and play ball to immediately I got into coaching. So I've been working with college-age students all my adult life, even as a chaplain or up until recently as a chaplain for college athletes. Sometimes they don't get it. 18 to 22-year-olds, they don't get it. 
But then let's say with you a little bit tighter because I'm also a parent of a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. Pray for your boy's strength in the Lord. I got teenagers. Lord have mercy. They don't get it. Sometimes I would, tell, I would instruct my sons to do something, and they would look at me like I got a third eye. Like, huh? And I'm like, son, do this. Huh? Son, do this. Huh? Do you, expl- do you understand why? I could go through an entire lecture as to why something is important, a small detail is important, and he still don't get it. But nonetheless, what you see here is you see God constantly at work that even though he don't get it, he doesn't give up. That even though we don't get it, even though sometimes my sons don't get it, but because we're linked by name and by blood, I'm not going to give up on them. Just because when my athletes didn't get it, because I was their coach, I was assigned over them, I would continue to press, teach, and instruct with the hopes of one day the light will come on. And that's what Jesus does. That the mission of the gospel, God's work, is to open our spiritual blindness, our hardened hearts. And, and, and when it happens, we get to learn something that's key. And if you write this down, it's not on the screen or anything, but if you write this down, recognize that Jesus is all in all to all who trust in him. Let me say that again. Jesus is all in all to all who trust in him. We have to get that. We have to press towards that. We have to understand that. And so as we get to the text, and let's break it down now, let's start it off in in Mark chapter 8, and we'll be starting with verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the CSB, which you guys should have. In those days, there were again, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have, he asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he blessed them, he he said, These are all who serve me well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces, for uh, about 4,000 were there. He dismissed them, and he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanuatha. And so what we see here is a separate feeding regarded in the, um, uh, that's separate from Mark 6. And so when you, when you see this, you see this idea of Jesus being the compassionate Christ. That Jesus is the compassionate Christ. Why? Because his mission as Messiah, his ministry as Messiah was marked and motivated by this compassion. We see a second feeding, and and it's it's a cool thing because, like, you know, for me, I'm originally from D.C. So, you know, I can just imagine this be like the world's second largest fish fry. Because, you know, the first one, the first one, and if you see the parallels, the first one, it just said 5,000 men. So the text did not include women and children, but here we see that it's 4,000 people. And because of the ministry where Jesus was located, most of these people and many of these people were actually Gentiles. So in the first feeding of the 5,000, you see a Jewish, he's feeding Jews, but now he's, he's feeding Gentiles. 
We cannot miss the point that Jesus is showing that he cares, that he cares for our spiritual and natural needs. He cares not only for the natural and spiritual needs of the Jews, but the natural and spiritual needs of all people. How do we walk that out in our daily lives? How do we walk that out in the lives of those who, who do not look like us? How many of us walk this out in a culture, in a community where it is increasing hostility? Do we, do we look at it and being able to live out loving our neighbor as ourselves? This is the challenge. But we understand that we can do this because if we are to follow Jesus, we understand that Jesus cares. And if Jesus cares, we are to care. That, that he sees all we need. And you see what he did first. He taught for three days. He fed first. He fed them spiritually. And see, sometimes we get in a situation, well, let's just preach the gospel. But what good is the gospel if they collapse on the way home because they had nothing to eat? Even Jesus recognized that point. So then Jesus says, you know what? After I feed them the bread of life, I'm going to give them bread from earth so that the bread of life can stay and remain and, be, and grow and nourish within. And we see that Jesus invites the disciples into this. Which brings to the second subpoint of here that not, Jesus not only cares, but Jesus also provides. That Jesus, as the compassionate Christ, provides. And, and, and it's, it's funny because where the disciples saw a problem, Jesus saw a plan. See, a lot of times, our problems and what we view as a problem is different from how Jesus views a problem. See, Jesus saw a problem like, they don't have any food to eat. We need to give them food. The disciples were looking at logistically, and some of us are planners and administrators and stuff like that. It's like, well, I know it needs to be done, but how do we get it done? See, see Jesus wasn't concerned about how because guess what? He is the bread of life. When you're the bread of life and the living water, you don't worry about that. But when we walk in our humanity, we see, we look at the, the bank account, or we look at our 401k, or we look at this situation, and we look at that, and we're like, I don't have enough. Jesus is not saying, I don't have enough, or you don't have enough, that's the problem. Jesus is saying, give me what you got, and let me do the rest. Jesus provides. So this is actually a teachable moment for the disciples, and here's the cool part. See, I'm, I, pray for your mans, because I'm not as compassionate as Jesus is. See, when I see a problem, right, and you start saying, well, we ain't got this, I say, get out the way, I'll do it myself. I'm like, you're just getting in my way. Ask my wife and kids, God, pray for my wife. She's, she's got a heart of gold. Pray for my boys. They got a butt of stone, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not playing. Um, but... But I'm like this, just get out of my way, let me do my thing, and I'll figure it, I'll get it done. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus, in his compassion, knowing how jacked up his disciples were in their thinking, still brought them along the process. They still invited them in. And, 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 and while they have a short man, because you would think, here's the part that's fun, you would think that if all the people would know, the disciples would know. So when Jesus starts saying, how many fish you got? Man, somebody should be like, look, look, you about, yo, he about to do it again. He about to do it again. Yo, yo, watch this, watch this, watch this. You know when you get hype around certain people you, and you anticipate what's, what's going to happen? You get excited. You're like, yo, watch this. Watch what you're about to do. Watch what you're about to do. Watch what you're about to do. They didn't do that. You would think of anybody who would be excited to see that it would be them. But they didn't. They forget. They have a short memory. But Jesus not only cares. Jesus not only provides. 
Jesus also satisfies. See, it says in the text that, that afterwards they ate and they were satisfied. And what I see and what I understand as I break into the text, and even as we walk this thing out, is that Jesus satisfies the deepest longings of those who follow him. Jesus satisfies the needs. Jesus was addressing their need at the moment. He knew people were going to collapse if they didn't eat. People were going to falter if they didn't eat. And as the living bread for all people, he said, I got to satisfy their deepest longings. For some of us, as we walk this out, even as believers, we have an understanding. We don't know our identity. We find our value and our worth in our profession. We find our value and our worth in relationships. We find our value and our worth in our 401k and in our bank accounts and our wins, losses, and all that stuff. And the reason why I can say it is I've been there, done that, got a t-shirt, got more of them. That I found my value and worth, and the thing that I've learned through it all is every time I turn to those things to find me value, I would always have to go back because I was never, ever satisfied. But Jesus is saying, if you come to me and let me feed you, I fed you with bread from heaven. I'm going to feed you with bread on earth. You can be satisfied and walk it out. And I've learned that Jesus satisfies. So when Jesus preaches and feeds to this multitude, he is communicating that God's kingdom is for all people as he cares, provides, and satisfies all who come to him and follow him regardless of our or their ethnicity or nationality. The, the kingdom of God is for all who come to him in faith. Now you would think after this, people would start to get it, that the light would come on, but some still don't get it. So that brings me to my second point, the second and final point as we break down this test is that Christ is not only the compassionate Christ, but Jesus is also the confronting Christ. That Jesus convicts us by confronting the condition of our hearts. What does the text say? Well, the text says afterwards that the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sign deeply in his spirit. This is Jesus. He said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. Now, now this is interesting. The Pharisees just saw Jesus feed 4,000. Now, my, my, my Auburn math ain't that great. Okay? But he just fed 4,000. Just previously, he fed 5,000 plus. They saw Jesus cast out demons. They saw him preach and teach with authority. They saw him heal the sick and raise the dead. So why did they need to see a sign? Why did they demand to see a sign? And as I prayed through this, I, 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 I've, I've come to realize, I've, I've, I've prayed through this, and, and as the text jumped out, it's, it's that they wanted a Messiah to fit their own terms of what a Messiah should be. How many of us try to think, well, this is how God should be in the, in, in the terms that I set? That we try to put God in a box, and if God does not come in this package, I don't want it. Because when you look at the text and you look throughout the history of the Old Testament, the, the religious leaders, these dudes had the theology right in terms of knowledge of the law. But their application was terrible because they could not see. What they wanted to see was a military ruler to come in and, 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 and bring back 
the people of Israel back into what God had for them. Their own land, their own government, their own, their own national stamp. That, that God was their deliverer. As you saw throughout the Old Testament, whether you read Joshua or Judges or the prophets, that you see that's what they thought the Messiah was going to be. That the Messiah was going to come in. Dun, da, da, da. Or Wakanda forever. <laughs> Don't trip. Y'all know. If y'all ever saw Endgame and y'all saw the end, Cap, watch your six. I shed a thug tear, man. I saw, I saw my man come in. Boom, boom, bang. I was getting hyped. That's how we expect the Messiah to come, and that's how the rulers did. They thought they was going to come in like a champ, but he came through a manger. He didn't come the way that he expected them to. So, so, so when they come in this way, they, they demanded to see him in their terms to have a Messiah of their terms. And the problem with this is that unbelievers will oftentimes demand a sign but reject the ones that are standing right there in their face. Their hearts can be so hardened that they would provoke God to the test and then reject him. You see the signs, demand a sign, see more signs, and be like, nah, bro, that wasn't the kind I was looking for. It's kind of like this, so some of you, I'm, I'm, I'm about to age myself, but when I was growing up, about middle school, early high school, my, one of my favorite TV shows, it actually comes along today, and they got marathons of it, In Living Color. In Living Color. It was a comedy show. It was a kind of a, a comedy variety show. But one of my favorite characters was Homie D. Clown. <laughs> Homie the Clown. Homie was my dude. I actually had it on eighth grade. In the eighth grade, I had a homie the clown shirt. Uh, and I, I used to walk around with a sock. I would carry the sock on the school bus to a silly clown. And, 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 and he's a clown, so, you know, they expect the clown to entertain them. You know, when you see a clown, some people are afraid of clowns. Guess what? The word of God said that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. Reject that, Joe. So I get a little DC in me. You got to forgive me. But, but... But, this, but Homie would have a sock because Homie wasn't a typical clown. He was like a clown that didn't really want to be a clown but had to be a clown because he couldn't do nothing else. So he going to clown his way. And they would be like, do a silly clown trick, Homie. Do a silly clown trick. And he'd be like, what, and degrade myself for your amusement? And then, boom, hit him with the sock and say, I don't think so. Homie don't play that. Now, on a grander, more cosmic scale, what they're asking Jesus to do is to do a silly God trick. Do a silly God trick. I just raised the dead. No, Jesus, do a silly clown trick. I just, I just healed the unclean spirit. Do a silly God trick. And the funny thing is when Jesus did the miracles, they actually attributed it to Satan. The Pharisees didn't get it because their hearts were hard. But the Pharisees weren't the only ones not to understand Matter of fact, it's also interesting how the, how the disciples also failed to comprehend what Jesus has shown them. Continuing the text in Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21, the disciples had forgotten to take bread and only had one left of them on the boat. Then he gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, 
Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told them. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? Now, this is interesting because, you know, this is probably the most complex part of the, of the, of the, uh, of the passage that we're reading. And he says they were worried about the, the bread they forgot. <laughs> like, sometimes I can just understand. I just, if I see Jesus, like, Jesus, like, do you not understand? What's wrong with you, man? Like, I'm trying to, like, you don't get, like, you worry about bread you forgot. Don't you remember what I just did? Don't you know who I am? So he was worried about, they were worried about the bread they forgot, so Jesus had to talk about totally different bread. And see, when you talk about leaven, in the Old Testament, leaven usually uh, symbolized corruptive, the corruptive and infectious power of evil. So, and that leaven was a contaminating agent. So what happened was, leaven was an, an additive that would make bread rise. So when you get your bread and it's risen like that, leaven was added to get the bread to rise. And so in the ancient world, how they would do it, though, it would create a very dangerous way of, of having leaven. It was very toxic in the fact that what they would do is they would keep some of last week's dough, and then they would add juices in it to promote fermentation. Then the problem, though, is that it could become easily tainted, and, and then it would turn the bread toxic by spreading poison when it was baked with the rest of the dough. So imagine it's fermented, it's getting toxic, you put it in the bread, and then you're serving that, but then you take that leftover for that toxic bread and put it in another and leave it behind for another week to make the next week's loaf. That you're getting toxicity after toxicity, poison after poison. And, and so what happens is the next batch will be contaminated, and the next batch, and the next batch. And, and I had to learn this lesson the hard way because um, just this past week, I was in my pantry, and I opened my pantry door. Now, there's two places in my house I got to keep clean. We got to keep clean. My kitchen and my bathroom. And I got to smell like a dog. I mean, it's just like I can smell the funniest smells. So this one that I opened my pantry door, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is that smell? I mean, it was, I opened the door, and it, like, it punched me in the face. I get knocked back. I'm like, oh, oh, Lord, what is that smell? And so I'm obsessed with trying to find the smell. So I go in there, and I look at it. And then all of a sudden, I look at, I had, I had in the pantry, I had my, my potatoes in the pantry. Doors closed, but they were right next to my onions. Yeah, oh no. <laughs> so I look at my, I get the bag, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, this, the potatoes are ruined. And I'm like, what happened? So I said, something ain't right, but something, something ain't right. And what I learned is, if you don't store your onions separately from your potatoes, the gas from the onions will cause the potatoes to sprout. That the gas that comes from the onions would, would in an essence, cause a, a chemical process that would turn something that should be good to eat, if you do that junk right, into something toxic and poisonous. That's what happens with leaven. What happens is what should be good becomes repulsive. What should be sweet to the taste 
shall be repulsive. And, I, and I'll give you another point just to, to take this home a little bit. Some of you may not get this. But so my family put me on a show. My, my wife and my youngest son put me on a show called Nailed It. I don't know if y'all ever saw it on Netflix. It's a cookie show on, on Nailed It. Where there was one particular episode where they were baking a cake. Now, there are certain things that belong in a cake. Eggs. Sugar. But instead of putting sugar, the chef put in salt. That was all she wrote. And so what should be something that you're anticipating to be wonderful and good and great to the taste ends up being repulsive. Because you don't expect your, ta- your cake to taste like salt. Now, I like a good pound cake. Put some pound cake with the ice cream. If you feed me pound cake, and it don't have butter, and it don't have sugar, and it got salt. Like I said, my compassion, God is working on me. I'm going to throw that thing at you. Why? Because what was supposed to be good to the taste is repulsive. This is what Jesus is warning the disciples of. That the leaven of the, of the, of the Pharisees, which was religiosity, we can speak Christianity fluently. We can, we can, we, 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 we got it down. We can say God is good all the time and all the time and God is good. But at the same time, reject our neighbor and we fail to love them as ourselves. That, that, that we see that leaven, but he also talks about the leaven of Herod. And the leaven of Herod was just outright sin. Remember the same guy who married his brother, his wife, and John the Baptist calls him out? That leaven. Talked about it a couple of series uh, earlier this series. So Jesus is saying not only the leaven of, of, of Christianese, religiosity, and not only the leaven of outright sin, both are corruptive, evil elements that we are to avoid as believers in Christ. And he's telling us to people who should have gotten it more than anybody else. Because they walking in the ultimate seminary. They walking with Jesus. Yet they fail to mess it because they're like, and even after, they're like, well, he's still talking about bread. And that's why Jesus like, man, why y'all tripping? What's wrong with you? That's why it's so hard for so many of us. Why is it so hard for them and us to embrace the truth that Jesus is all in all for all who trust him? Why is it so hard for us? That they saw sign after sign, miracle after miracle, and still did not believe. Or their view was clouded. Their view was distorted. And this is something all of us got to work on. This is something all of us got to continue to press and press. That let me not forget how good you are, God. If I've seen the miracles. And I even run this joke. Like someone asked me, why do you praise God the way that you do? Why do you remember all this? I just say, honestly, because of my good looks. Some of y'all looking at me funny, like, you ain't that good. Just work with me. It's not my physical looks, but every time I take good looks back at my life and where I am instead of what I could be, I thank God that I don't look like what I've been through. See, see, for many of us, we forget what God has done in our lives. We forget the miracles and we're still walking in blindness because we don't see the work of God day after day after day after day that the mercies are brand new every day. So for those of us, continue 
to remember, continue to remember that God is who he is, that if we truly believe that nothing is impossible with God, as Luke 137 says, then surely we can walk in confidence that you know what? We left the bread behind, but we got Jesus. I ain't got enough in the 401k, but I got Jesus. I got, a, I got an injury. I'm not smart enough. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not this, but I've got Jesus. And if Jesus, if I have Jesus, I got everything that I need. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples on the boat. You worried about all that what you don't have instead of focusing on who you have. Jesus confronts our spiritual blindness. And as we're about to land this plane, and we're about to land this plane, we're going to finish this with a text with Mark chapter, with verses 20 through 226. They came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? They, he looked up and said, I see people. I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes. The man looked intently on his, it looked intently, excuse me, and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't you, don't even go into the village. Now, this, this, this healing here serves ultimately as a visual parable and a teaching moment to his disciples. See, he uses a physical healing to communicate the spiritual journey of the disciples. Now, notice this. Some people would be like, well, what, was this guy extra difficult? Why do you have to take two steps to heal this guy? He said to one, well, you touched the hem of my garment, you already healed. It's got nothing to do with the power or the lack thereof of God. I don't even think it has anything to do with the faith of the person who's, who's, who is healing. Other than the fact that even though he saw just a little bit, he still knew to stay with Jesus. That he was not content in his partial blindness. Now, mind you, if you can't see nothing, some of us get satisfied with just a little bit. Well, I'm better than what I was yesterday, even though I'm not 100%. He stayed because he knew that if it's in Jesus, everything can come through, that he can regain full sight. And so this, 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 this two-step healing honestly has more, I think, to do with the disciples. That this physical healing of blindness serves an example of the disciples' sight coming both gradually and with difficulty. So what does this mean for us? It's something that we can have hold on to in the hope. Because honestly, it's kind of hard when you read this passage, you're like, man, does this thing get better? Does it get better? Like, why am I dealing with thing after thing? I'm struggling after struggling. But Jesus is saying more that if he is the compassionate Christ, and if he is the confronting Christ, then we understand that Jesus is all in all for all who place their trust in him. Why? Because what Jesus started, he will finish. As the compassionate Christ and the confronting Christ, he's also the Christ of, com of consistency and the Christ of completion. It's not on the screen, but Philippians 1 and 6 says, I am sure of this. He who started a good work in you will carry it on until the completion, uh, to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, 
Since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. That what Jesus started, he will finish. You think you're a project that's messed up. You may be a work in progress, or you might just be a progress getting worked. But that regardless of where you are standing, what Jesus started in you, he will finish. You may not like where you are at this moment, but all you got to do is continue to trust in him and know that he is all in all to all who trust in him. See, as a believer, as we grow in Christ, we cannot misunderstand his words and his work. For the unbeliever, you got to see the obvious work of Jesus as the proof of who he is. See, for some of you, like, well, I don't see God in my heart, but you got that best friend who loved the Lord who's been saying they've been praying for you. You may have a mama or a daddy who's praying for you. You may have people who are walking with you, showing you the love of Christ. And in this moment, if we understand that Jesus is more than we can expect, then what we have to do is get our hearts in the position to be able to hear him clearly and see him clearly. Now, if you remember correctly, it's about to close this point, that we got the cell phone, right? Now, I remember when I was coaching, I had two cell phones because I had my personal cell phone, which was the bat phone, and then I had my work cell phone because I didn't want my head coach to have my work cell, my personal number. But there were some places that I would be in that if I had my personal cell, I could not get a signal to whoever I wanted to talk to. So I had to use my work cell to make some phone calls. If I'm in Bamberg, I had to use my work cell at the time. And I would call a friend, and, and if I used my personal cell phone, it would be like, hey, bro, I, I can't, can, can you hear me? I, it, the signal was blocked. But when I used my good phone, I could go in here, and it's almost like the Verizon commercial when my man says, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Because when I got the right signal connected, when my phone is full bars, connected to the satellite, connected to the tower, I can hear clearly who I need to talk to. What Jesus is communicating in the text is, excuse me, whoo, going through puberty again. About to be 40 years old, 41, got to be, whoo. So what Jesus is communicating, though, is that when your heart is in the right place, your heart is aligned with him, your ears are aligned with him, when God is saying, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? You can say, yes, Lord, I hear you clearly. Let's pray.